0: All right. We got something uh, in store for you this morning. When I was away, Lauren filled in one of the Sundays that I was away, and John did the other, and they both did a great job. And so uh, after I came back, I didn't get to partake. And so I asked Lauren to come back again and share the exact same sermon. Um, no, just kidding. He's, he got something new. He's good. I, I put a lot of faith in him. He can get more than one going. And so... Lauren's just a great guy. He's become a real friend of mine over the last few years. We meet and we really iron sharpens iron and, and we, we go for dinner quite often and just, uh, he's one of those guys in my life that challenges me and vice versa. And so we can get down and, and to nitty gritty and, and not mess around. And so, um, just a privilege to bring him back up. And I believe that he has lots to share. And I know in our meetings he has lots to share. And so I just like to, uh, bring him up again today. Come on up, Lauren. Give him a big round of applause. All right. Are you ear miked You're ear So I'm ear miked this off to you. I'm ear miked So it is all yours, and you got a, you ended up with the scriptures, right? You're ready to rock. I'm good. All right, you're on. I'm good. Thanks, man. Well, good morning. For those of you
1: who weren't here last time, let me give you just a quick snapshot of uh, who I am and what I do. My name is Lorna Lichney. I spend the majority of my time uh, traveling, helping uh, Jeff Williams build his global automotive training business. I come from uh, the automotive business. I had an 18-year career there, uh, working for one of the largest dealer groups uh, in Canada at the time. And um, I thought several years ago that I might take it easy for a while, but that didn't work out. And so now I'm as busy as ever. For those of you who do know me, I thought you might be interested in some little-known um, facts about me. So I've got three little-known facts about me today. Uh, the first one is, I was a DJ for just about four years until I realized I had to make more back then. So this gives you a little bit of an insight how old I am. I realized I had to make more than $2.35 an hour uh, to survive. And uh, so I had a great time in radio. Uh, Someday, uh, if you uh, or we get the chance, I can tell you about all kinds of great things, uh, the Terry Fox experience that started in the radio station that I worked in, meeting Gordy Howe, etc. Another little-known fact: I really got my professional start in the hot tub business. That's where I became quote a manager, and I spent ten years in hot water, literally <laughs> and figuratively. And actually, that's where I first began what has now become uh, my current lifestyle. They used to call me the ultimate road warrior. My second year in the hot tub business, I was on the road 225 days out of the year. And then the third thing that you should know about me is I love music. I think that stands to reason I was a DJ for a a long time. As a matter of fact, when I was young, and again, this probably dates me, I would sneak a transistor radio uh, into my room, stash it in my bed, and when everybody had gone to sleep, if it was a clear night, I could tune into various contemporary music stations and listen to what was hot and what was exciting and what was new. But of course, for me, what I wanted to listen to were the DJs of the time. So Wolfman Jack, Raccoon Cardi. I used to love hearing somebody say 1410 C-Funds. Or this is the Super 8 out of Moose Jaw of all places. (laughs) Or if I was really lucky and it was a perfectly clear night, I got to hear the best radio of the time. And that came out of Chicago. There were two stations and they had DJs who could... Just tell a story and just make music come alive. My mom wasn't that impressed. (laughs) But there you go. There's three little known facts about me. Well, for those of you who were here last time, you know, I don't do this often from here. And so I called for I called some friends for some advice. The last time I spoke, they gave me some good advice For those of you who are here, I made the same mistake I made last time. I phoned my mother and said, "What advice would you give me?" Clean underwear. Make sure you're wearing clean underwear. I'm not sure where that comes from, but uh, she also this time said, "Would you please get a haircut?" I got a haircut. Uh, One of my good friends is a pastor. Most of you know him, Mike Poulin. He gave me a couple of tips. He said, could you please put something up on the screen? So today I'm endeavoring to work with something on the screen. We'll see how it goes. He said, put some scripture on the screen. I don't care what you put on the screen. It's all good. So we're going to see how that goes today. I also had my youngest son here. For those of you who have younger children, they are often and certainly is the case in my life, Uh, my biggest supporter, but my biggest critic. And so he said, Dad, don't you know if you can't say it in 12 and a half minutes, you can't say it? So today I'm going to endeavor to shorten it down a little bit. However, it can't be 12 and a half minutes, otherwise the food won't be ready and you'll be upset. Well... The last time I was with you, I invited you to think a little bit about what it must have been like to spend three to three and a half years, depending on uh, the historian, walking with Jesus. See, I think often we have the value of historical perspective. And so when we read the Bible, we miss some of what it must have been like to experience it for the first time, for the first time. The last time we talked, I mentioned that as I began to look back on who these people were, I was amazed. They were us was a government worker. There were some simple laborers. There was a politician. There was a radical. There was a businessman who was so successful, he could afford to leave his father, potentially forever, in the care of servants. It was a crazy mix of people. But they were you, they were me, and they walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Last week, all of Christendom spent time reflecting on Easter. Easter and what happened there is the foundation of the Christian faith. It is something that we as believers hold on to. With our very being. As a matter of fact, for hundreds of years, when we get together at that time of year, we say, He is risen. But when we look at Easter, we have the value of historical perspective. And so what I'd like to do with you today is invite you to experience the other part of the Easter story that we often miss because we have the advantage of historical perspective. We actually have the whole story. The disciples didn't. So today what I'd like to spend a few minutes on is having you think What it must have been like to be a disciple then. What was Easter like for the disciples? Easter was a tragedy for the disciples. Easter was something they had not even contemplated. Easter was a tragedy close your eyes and think about it for a moment. If you had just gone through the Passover, if you had just spent the last few weeks with Jesus, if you were a Jew at the time, you probably would have thought, finally, we have a king who is going to free us from Roman rule. Finally, we have somebody who is going to free us. For some, as you know, they probably had their own political aspirations. Why do we know that? Well, somebody's mother came and said, Hey, who gets to be the Minister of Defense? Who gets to be the Secretary of State? see they didn't have historical perspective like we do we look at their circumstance and we wonder what happened what happened so i thought today it'd be very good for us to pick up the story after the tomb was discovered to be empty now without historical perspective If you were a Jew, when somebody died, what happened? They stayed dead. See, they didn't have historical perspective. When Jesus died, their world came to an end. All the good times, all the miracles, all the camaraderie, All the intense personal moments had come to an end. Because when somebody died, they stayed dead. So I want to pick up the story after a couple of disciples had run to the tomb and found that it was empty. After they had been told by women who went to prepare the body, that the body was gone. So I'd like to pick up the story uh, in the first scripture, if I can, right here. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb. Apparently, she'd come back after running to where the disciples were and telling them that the tomb was empty. She was confused. And so as we see here, Mary probably followed the two disciples who, when they heard the tomb was empty, ran to the tomb. Why did they run? Because burial rites for Jews were so important. And where those bodies lay, not unlike us today, was cemeteries, was so important. And the body was gone. The body was gone. So Mary probably followed them back. And the scripture tells us, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' where body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She said, They have taken my Lord away. She said, And I don't know where they have put him. See, she had come to prepare the body. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have put him. And I will get him. Jesus said to her one word. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. Rabboni or rabbi. Which means teacher. See we have historical perspective. She didn't. She was a woman. An interesting sidelight by the way which i find fascinating the bible honors women more than i think we have thought about who was the first who was the first person to see the risen lord it was a woman and here's the other interesting sidelight if somebody was trying to make up the story about the resurrection about Jesus rising from the dead, back then, not with historical perspective, they would have never told the story, taking the testimony of a woman as the basis that Jesus had risen from the dead. Never. Because the testimony of a woman back then was this nobody would have made up the story of the resurrection and the first witness of Jesus being risen and used a woman as the basis of that story. Hmm. He is risen. But what do we see with Mary here? We see confusion. Mary does not respond to Jesus. Jesus, my Lord and King. She responds to him, how? Teacher, teacher. See, she didn't have historical context like we do, she was struggling with what she was experiencing. Jesus then says to her, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Put yourself in the shoes of Mary for a moment. Had she seen a ghost? What was it she saw? She thought she saw Jesus. And her immediate response to him was, Teacher. Probably not unlike many people throughout history who, when they're exposed to Jesus, say things like he was a good teacher. So I wonder what happened. Well, the thing I like about the book of John and the thing I don't like about the book of John, especially these last few chapters, is that so many questions are raised So many answers are given. So many insights. So many phenomenal insights are provided in chapter 20 and 21 of John about the risen Lord. And what he means to you. And what he means to me. That I could be here for three or four hours. And so after I even have read This part. I know in my own life. I'm asking myself. When I'm confronted with Jesus. What is my first response? What is my first response? Well we're led to believe of course. That Mary probably ran back to the disciples. And said hey I've seen them. So the book of John then tells us what? Where do we find the disciples? Well if you'd throw up that next scripture, and I'll read from here, it's easier, I don't have to use these. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It goes on to say, and I I didn't put it up, only because I've been really thinking about it. And I invite you to go look at that piece of scripture. Right here, an amazing thing happens. First of all, of course, Jesus tries to calm them down. He says, peace be with you. There's many reasons why he said that. One of them being, they had just come through an actual, very dramatic, very violent moment. Not only was he crucified, two other people were crucified. He was flogged within an inch of his life. That whole three or four days was so violent that Jesus came to them. And met them at their need of the moment and said, Peace, peace, peace. He met them in their moment and he said, Peace. But what I'd like you to do, I haven't got it up, but what I'd like you to do, there's something very interesting that happens here. Jesus physically breathes on them. Read the account. And he says, I am giving you a piece of me. It's only one other recorded time where we know God used his breath to give life. And that was when he created Adam. What did he do? He took this clay object. And what did he do? He breathed new life into Adam. Peace be with you and receive new life. Well, what happened? What changed for the disciples? Anything? Well, let's put up the other scripture. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Again. What didn't happen the first time they encountered the risen Lord? They didn't stand up in unison and say, Hey, that last three and a half years was so great. Now that you're risen from the dead, let's keep doing it. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. The second time Jesus comes to them, where are they Still, they're in a house behind a locked door, paralyzed by fear and indecision, paralyzed, consumed with their personal tragedy. They had experienced a personal tragedy that had rocked their faith, and they were behind a locked door, and Jesus appears to them again. And he meets them in the moment because he understands them like he understands you and I. And he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Of course, also if you read on, this is where Thomas, and we unjustly call him the doubting Thomas. I don't know that that's fair. Thomas was pragmatic. Thomas probably was the guy you went to When you were just a little bit confused and things are flying around and you wanted somebody who could see clearly and who could make sense of the moment. Thomas was probably that guy and Thomas just said, well, hey, wait a minute. You guys are emotionally out of control. Are you sure? Are you sure? I'll be sure when I get the facts. And of course, here... Thomas is with them at this time. And Jesus says to him and shocks him by saying, Thomas, I know what you said about me. I know what you said about me the other time I appeared when you weren't there. So guess what? Here it is. Touch me. Touch me. Get the facts. Come to grips with the facts. Thomas, it's me. It's very interesting. Thomas' response at that moment was what? My Lord. My God. Not Rabbi. Not Rabbi. So what did the disciples do? What changed for them? What changed for them? Well, John gives us another account, and where do we find the disciples? Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. By the way, that was seven of the remaining 11 disciples. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said, told them. I'm going back to work. I'm going back to my former life. And when he declared that, they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, Famously, because we have historical perspective. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it, with fish on it, and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. They had walked with Jesus for three or three and a half years. That whole personal time with Jesus didn't do it. How do we know that? They went back to work. I'm not a Bible scholar. There's all kinds of stuff we could unpack there. But I want to just point out to you a few things that stand out to me. Aren't we all glad that Jesus persisted? He went to them the first time. And said, It's me, I'm back. I told you I would come back, here I am. And it didn't motivate them, it didn't trigger their belief. But Jesus persisted. He came to them a second time and said, I'm back, I'm back, I have fulfilled the promise. They still didn't stand up and say, well, let's go. Let's go heal. Let's go feed. Let's go teach. They didn't. But Jesus persisted. He persisted. And even when they were prepared to leave three and a half years of walking with Jesus... And returned to their former life. He persisted. And he came to them and he said, hey, it's me. I have risen. I have risen. I have risen. Jesus persisted. So what about us? What about us? How many times have you met someone who had a dramatic conversion experience? Where they were called out and they responded immediately. And they lived a dynamic Christian life for a few years and then something happened. A family member died. They became overcome with tragedy. Their wife left them. Their husband left them. A child died. Something bad happened. And Jesus died. And he stayed dead for them. Hmm. How many people, when they've been in a moment... Be it in church or be it in a meeting, be it walking somewhere, get a sense that Jesus is walking with them. They even get the sense that Jesus is breathing. And they still don't move, still don't change, still don't change. How many have a great encounter with Jesus? It lasts for a while. But then the people in the church change. Whatever the popular type of worship at that particular time in history changes, it just kind of just doesn't work for them. And they just return to their formal life. And they fondly look back. Hey, I got some good teaching. I got a couple of good ideas on how to raise kids or how to treat my fellow workers. But he was a rabbi. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And it worked for me for a while. Hmm. Hmm. You know, as an aside, Jesus does three amazing things here. As he does for you and I. But here he does three amazing things. Not only does he persist, he shows him that, in fact, he is risen. First, he breathes. Ghosts don't breathe. Humans do. Humans do. And he breathes. Secondly, as we all know from Casper, the friendly ghost, when you go to touch Casper, what happens to your hand? It goes right through. Why? Because it's an apparition. It's not real. But what happened... When Thomas reached out his hand to touch Jesus. He touched a human scar. He touched him. It was physical. He touched a human. His hand did not go through. And thirdly, when he is with the disciples who wanted to return to work. When he persisted, he did another thing that only humans do. What did he do? He ate food. Okay? And unlike all those funny cartoons we all grew up with, the food did not go here and then show up everywhere else. Why? Because he did what he said he would do. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. So let's close with this. Who is this Jesus to you? Who is this Jesus to you? Is he someone who makes you feel good once a week? Is he someone who occasionally gives you a little shazam when you might hear about something miraculous? Is he someone you are just following so that you have friends? So that you have a place to go. So that you have something to do. Is your relationship with Jesus temporary? And at some point, are you just going to go back to work? Or, as we have the privilege of seeing in your own life, are you going to allow Jesus to persist? Here's the great thing. With historical perspective, we get to do what? We get to turn the page from the book of John to the book of Acts. We get to turn the page. But my question to you this morning is, are you ready to turn the page? Are you willing to transition to the book of Acts in your personal life? Where you stand up with and for God with the help of the Holy Spirit. Are you going to transition to the book of Acts where you become an influencer? Are you going to be intentional about the fact that you know Jesus is risen? Are you going to penetrate your society with that truth? When you read this, it's amazing. When you read this, it's amazing. So let's close with this. Who is the risen Lord to you? To you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to meet together. Thank you for the fact that we are blessed with historical perspective. But most importantly, thank you for the fact that you show us through this account that no matter where we are in our walk, in our faith journey, you will persist. Amen.
0: Well, I got something out of that. Did you get something out of that this morning? That was really, really good. Thanks, Lauren. Yeah, that was really challenging. But yeah, you know what? Stay challenged by that word. What does your life look like? And um, who are you? Who is Christ to you? And what does that look like in your world? So thanks, everybody, for coming out. Hope to get to chat with a few. If not, have an amazing week, and we'll see you real soon.